Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's where we're going to begin momentarily. 1 Corinthians the 6th chapter. Our Wednesday night auditorium class was recently in 1 Corinthians 6, and it sparked some ideas and some thinking for this morning's sermon. And so let's get in the Word of God. Let's be ready to follow along in that passage and all the others that we'll be looking at for the next few minutes. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians 6, I will echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this morning, even though our congregation continues to be afflicted by the travel bug. We, uh, we do have a good number nonetheless, and got some folks that have traveled to be with us here today, and we appreciate so much your attendance and your participation as we seek to worship the Lord here on this first day of the week. There is much to say this morning, and I want to get right to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, This is verse number 18, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. The apostle says there, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Boy, if you were looking for a verse that shows just how out of step Christianity is with our modern world, this would be your verse. Our world does not flee from sexual immorality. No, our world runs to it. Our world embraces it and our world revels in it. In fact, our culture seems to be obsessed with sex and the sexual relationship and open displays of sexuality. And of course, the devil has used that. The devil has used that mightily mightily and in a very powerful way to make Christians and to make Christianity just look bad. Think about it. Our society on one hand says that sex, sex is awesome and it's great and it's wonderful and you need to just do it and do it all the time. And it's a natural appetite and it needs to be fed. And it's a normal desire that ought to be engaged in any way, in every way that you can. Whereas Christianity over here on the other hand, we teach self-control. And to the unmarried, we teach abstinence. And so the people of the world, they look at Christianity and they say, well, they're over there saying that that it's not normal, that it's not natural. In fact, it's nearly impossible to be abstinent, to have self-control, all of this repression of sexual desire, it's bad and that causes all kinds of problems in our world. Society's message is clear and it is shouted from the rooftops over and over again that sexual expression of every kind, that it's wonderful and amazing and it's great. You do whatever you want, with whoever you want, however you want, whenever you want. Don't listen to those Bible-thumping Christians over there. They just want to restrain and they want to stifle your sexuality. Of course, the net result of all of that is that Christians just kind of come off looking like a bunch of prudes. We come off looking like a bunch of old-fashioned goody-goodies who have Victorian-era morals and Victorian-era thinking. And that in turn affects, well, it affects us. It affects, for example, our young people. Our young people who, as they reach a certain age, they begin to see the Scriptures sometimes as being being outdated, as being antiquated. You know, if I could just get away from all this Bible stuff, if I could get away from the church, if I could get away from my parents who are just pushing all of that on me all of the time, well, then I could go out and I could really live life the way that it's meant to be lived. It's not just young people that are affected by that. Sometimes even older folks. Sometimes married folks. They begin to look at the teaching of Scripture with a very jaundiced eye. Oh, if if I could just cast off all the restraints that the Bible places on human sexuality, all these narrow restrictions, if I could just get outside of all of that, then I could really live, and you know what? I could really be happy. 
So you add all of that together, and I am well aware of the fact of how out of touch and how unpopular the Bible must seem to our sex-crazed culture. But this morning, I'm going to submit to you that what we uphold and what we stand for and what we say and what we profess about human sexuality, that actually it's not all that strange and it's not all that far-fetched. In fact, I'm going to submit to you that what we say about the sexual relationship isn't really any different than what the world says about the sexual relationship. Because hold your hats this morning, I'm going to submit to you that everyone agrees with what the Bible says about the sexual relationship. And by everyone, I don't just mean everyone in here. I mean everyone in here and everyone out there. I'm talking about everybody. Not just Christians, but everybody. People all over the world, they agree that the Bible is right about the sexual relationship. Now, judging by the looks on people's faces, I can tell that right about now, some of you are thinking, oh my, bless his heart. He's been here nearly six years and... We're going to need to call the people who wear the white jackets to come and bring their truck and throw Josh in there and take him to a padded cell somewhere so he can think all of his weird and strange thoughts there and not injure the rest of us with them. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm not crazy. And I want to tell you that I've thought about this a lot. And I really do believe that deep down, everyone agrees with what the Bible says about the sexual relationship. Now, I want to be clear, people don't always live what they know, but in their hearts, in their heart of hearts, they know that the Bible is right. And I'm going to demonstrate that in two specific areas this morning. I'm going to try to do that at some length, because I want you to realize and I want you to understand that everyone agrees with the standard of Scripture. And I believe that when we understand that, I believe that that understanding can then provide for us maybe a very different launching point, a different strategy, if you will, for whenever we discuss these kinds of matters with people in the world. And then as a bonus this morning, before I close, I want to make a very pointed appeal to our young people to think about these things in a very special way. And so young people, pay close attention. Older people, pay close attention. Married people, Pay close attention. Let's all hear what the Bible has to say about the sexual relationship and how everybody agrees on it, even if they won't necessarily admit it. Number one, I'm going to suggest to you that everyone believes that the sexual relationship is unique, it is special. The Bible never buys into this common line of thinking that goes around from time to time. That sexual activity is just this natural appetite. And it's just kind of like eating. And so when you're hungry, you just need to feed that appetite. And you need to feed it however you can, in whatever way you can, and whenever you can. No. The Bible actually constructs a fence, a hedge, if you will, a hedge of protection around the sexual relationship. Why? Because it is unique. Because it is special. And it has been that way from the very beginning. Would you go back to Genesis chapter 2, please? In Genesis chapter 2, in the Garden of Eden... We read about that very first couple, that very first home, that very first marriage. And what do we read about that couple? In Genesis chapter 2, this is verse 24. In Genesis 2 and in verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother 
and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That idea of holding fast. Going to hold fast to that one partner. Not multiple partners, but one partner. So that you can become one flesh. And of course the Bible advances that idea just continuously, constantly throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Plunge forward a little bit to the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 20, this is in stark contrast to the people of Canaan who practiced all kinds, every kind of sexual perversion in connection with the worship of idol gods and false gods. God's law comes along and it brought about an entirely different standard for sexual behavior. So for example, in Exodus 20, this is in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. You can even add to that what's said in verse 17, that you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That standard carried through all the way through the remainder of the Old Testament and it continued on even into the New Testament. Look in the New Testament now in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, in speaking to a world that just praised the concept of free sexual expression, Paul and Christianity came along to say something that was very much counterculture. In Romans chapter 1, I'm reading here beginning of verse 24. In Romans 1 verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The Bible does not hesitate to call those kinds of behaviors sinful. And that passage, in fact, all of Romans chapter 1 speaks about how those kinds of behaviors, they are worthy, they earn the wrath of God. And so once again, Christianity comes along and it just kind of stands out. It sticks out like a sore thumb because it attempts to protect the sexual relationship. In fact, that's what we saw in our opening text. Would you go back to 1 Corinthians 6? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, why does the Bible say so much about the sexual relationship? We're just looking at just the tip of the iceberg here. Why does the Bible want to legislate so much about the sexual relationship? I'll tell you why. Because it is unique. And it is special. First Corinthians 6, look in verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. You see, it is vital for us to think in these kinds of terms because the sexual relationship, it is unique to our, to our personalities, to our heart, to our mind. And so, verse 18, we are to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Paul says that there is no sin like sexual immorality. Let me add one more verse to that discussion. Look in Hebrews, please. In Hebrews chapter 13, here the Lord shows just how special and just how unique the sexual relationship is to be treated because He says that it is reserved for one place and one place only. Hebrews 13, I'm reading here in verse 4. The Hebrew writer says, Let marriage 
be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now we could go on and on and on just stacking up passages that show how unique and how special the sexual relationship is intended to be. But you know what? As soon as we get done reading all those verses, as soon as we get done ripping off all of those passages, somebody, somebody out in the world is going to say, okay, Josh, I get all that. I've read all those verses. I've heard all those verses before. But you know what? You Christians, you all down there in the church, you Bible believers, you're the only ones who believe that. Nope. No, we're not. That's not true. I'm professing to you this morning. I am persuaded that everyone believes that. Everybody feels that way. Everybody thinks that the sexual relationship is unique and special and it should be treated as unique and special. And I am sure of that because because I hear so much in our world about cheating. Cheating. What's cheating? Cheating is infidelity. Cheating is being sexually unfaithful to someone that you are committed to. And I hear so much about that. And I see so much about that. If you stand in line at the grocery store for any amount of time, and you're there in the checkout line, what's there lining the checkout line? In addition to the candy and the bubble gum that the kids are reaching for, well, there's some stuff in there for adults too. And it's all those tabloid magazines. And what's the headlines? Almost every week on those tabloid magazines, you know what the headlines are. Big block letters. Someone cheated. This famous athlete cheated. This celebrity cheated. This billionaire tycoon cheated on his wife. And it's destroyed a relationship. It has ended a marriage. And it's scandalous and it's terrible and it's awful. Well, my question is, why is it scandalous and terrible and awful? If the name of the game is to just be footloose and fast and to have sexual relations with whoever, whenever, and however, then why is it so terrible that somebody went out and they did that? Why does our society condemn cheating? Or does anybody remember this show? It used to come on in syndication, the show Cheaters. It ran for like 15, 16, 17 years. might even still be available on syndication. The show Cheaters would place hidden cameras and hidden microphones up to try and catch people in the very act of infidelity. And of course, the whole gimmick of the show is when the cheaters are exposed, there's shock, and there's outrage, and there's anger, and then there is shame. Well, why is that? I thought our society said that having multiple partners and gratifying our sexual desires, I thought our society said that that's the way to go, huh? Why are we making all these poor cheaters to feel like miserable, awful, shameful people? Have you maybe ever turned on during the daytime, one of those daytime talk shows? Maury Povich, Jerry Springer, one of those? Those shows are always exposing people who've had an affair or people who are siring children with multiple partners all over the place. Those people, they get on stage and they're exposed, all of their misdeeds and all their sexual misconduct. And how does the audience react? The audience just, just recoils in horror. Can't believe the awful things that these people have done. And they cry out for that, for that cheater to be burned at the stake. Well, what's up with that? I thought getting with lots of hot babes. I thought doing that without the benefit of marriage. I thought that made you a big hero in our culture, huh? What gives here? You know, it's not just in movies and in television. What about, what about in music? 
It doesn't matter what brand of music you listen to, whether it's pop music. I think about Justin Timberlake's song, Cry Me a River. Or country music, Carrie Underwood's song, Before He Cheats. Or even rap songs like Eminem and Rihanna's song, Love the Way You Lie. The message in those songs is all the same. The message is, they cheated on me. I found out about the lie she was telling. I know what he did. He hurt me. She broke my heart. Really? Really? I thought that hooking up with all kinds of people, I thought that was the way to go. In fact, Miss Underwood, didn't you once sing a song about how you didn't even know his last name and you seemed to gloat about that? What's the deal here? Even amongst the Hollywood elite, the Hollywood crowd, who are hardly known for being good choir boys and good choir girls, even amongst that crowd... Infidelity is viewed as being awful and deplorable and despicable. I've been wronged by this person. You realize, Mr. Celebrity or Mrs. Celebrity, you realize that by saying you've been wronged, you realize that those are moral terms. You realize that that is a moral judgment that you are making. But if the sexual relationship means nothing, as we are told to believe, if it's just some natural appetite that has to be fed at every turn, then why are folks so up in arms? Why are folks so upset when somebody goes out and they live the way that the world tells them to live? I'll tell you why. Because at the end of the day, everyone believes that the sexual relationship is unique and that it is special. That's why people get upset about infidelity. It's because they know that it defiles something. That was designed to be unique and to be special. You know, nobody, I've never met anybody who celebrates the cheater. No one says, hey, look at me, I'm the world's biggest adulterer. And everybody comes along, just pats him on the back and gives him an award. No! People condemn that. People speak out against that. Nobody applauds that. Even the people who make the movies, where infidelity is rampant in those movies and in those shows, The people who get on stage and they portray the characters who are engaged in cheating and in those sorts of things, even they, in real life, will give interviews. And they will talk very glowingly about how they are married. And they are happily married. And they are committed and they are faithful to that one spouse. Hold on, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's the deal there? You mean they go over here and they star in movies that glorify promiscuity? And then they go home to be hopelessly devoted to their one spouse? You mean they don't live in their real life like the kind of smut that they portray on television and in movies, the way that they push that on the rest of the general public? Somebody hold me back. I'm about to start throwing out the hypocrite word. Because you see, it's not just the church. And it's not just religious folks. And it's not just preachers who get up and preach and rail against unrestrained sexual behavior. Everybody does. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that the sexual relationship is unique and it is special. I saw an article one time about a woman who had left the porn industry. She had starred in pornographic movies, she had appeared in pornographic magazines, and she had made millions of dollars doing that throughout her her teenage years and into her 20s. And so the interviewer asked her, you know, why would you give it up? Why are you walking away from the porn industry? Her answer was, well, I got married. 
And so I decided I needed to give all that up. You did what? You got married? Okay, here's a woman who should have been the poster child for sexual liberation. And she gave it all up. Gave it all up. And she certainly didn't do that because she had read the Bible and come to a different conclusion about what the Bible says about that. She didn't do that because some preacher was knocking on her door and taught her the gospel and she gave up all of her wicked ways. No. What happened was is she found that special someone and she immediately knew, can't be doing that anymore. Just instinctively knew, I can't be involved in that anymore. There's no way that I can continue to be involved in that. That sexual relationship, it is reserved for a husband and a wife. Why? Because it is unique. It is special. And that is why people still get married. And when I talk about people still getting married, I don't just mean Christians get married. People in the world still get married. Regular folks, even atheist kinds of folks, they get married. People who don't go to church, people who don't believe in the Bible, people who don't even believe in God, they're still getting married. And when they do, what do they expect? They expect that their spouse is going to be faithful to them. Monogamy is the ideal here. They're going to honor those vows till death do we part. Now I'll say, people don't always live up to that standard. And that is certainly what keeps the tabloids and the daytime talk shows all in business. But deep down, people know. They know what it is that they ought to be doing. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 7, please. In Proverbs chapter 7, we read here about a young man who is described as a fool. And we read as well about the woman who ends up leading him astray. And so Solomon says about this young man and this woman, Proverbs 7, verse 6, he says, At the window of my house I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Drop down to verse 10. Behold, this woman, she comes and meets him. And she is dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Drop down to verse 18 now. What does she say? She says, come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. And So not only do we know that this young man here, that he is a fool, But we also know that this woman, she is a wicked woman. And furthermore, we know that she knows she's a wicked woman. She knows that what she is doing is wrong and it is evil, that it destroys lives and that it breaks hearts. And here's the kicker about all that. Even a non-believer, even people out in the world who don't even believe the Bible, never even read the Bible, if you read that to them, what would they say? They'd say, oh, now that's wrong. That that that, 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 that is wrong. That is bad. Okay, let me ask you, why is it wrong? Why is it bad? Because the sexual relationship is unique. It is special. It is good and it is right whenever it is shared with one person within the confines of marriage. Something that is able to conceive and bring new life into this world. Something that can bond a man and a woman together like nothing else can do. That can never be treated as as ordinary and common and treating that in a flippant sort of way. No, it must be protected. It must be preserved. Why? Because it is unique. It is special. Now I'll say one more time. 
I realize that not everybody's living that out. But you look around our world, you turn on your television, you fire up your internet. I think the evidence overwhelmingly seems to say that at the very least, even if people aren't living it, everybody at the very least, they know that it is unique, and it is special, exactly as the Bible has been saying all along. Which brings me to this second biblical truth this morning, that I am persuaded everyone believes, everyone accepts, and that is that everyone believes that the sexual relationship must have limits. The Bible never hesitates to say that sexual expression has some boundaries, that it has some limits. We read that verse earlier from Hebrews 13 and in verse 4. How the sexual relationship, it is limited to the marriage bed. Can I add to that what's said in Galatians 5? In Galatians 5, in this list of what is called the works of the flesh, the Bible says in verse 19, in Galatians 5, and in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, notice these three terms that are given here, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and then there's more that are added to that in verses 20 and 21. All of those really kind of work together there. I would draw your attention though to that expression sexual immorality. The Greek word there is the word porneia. That is where we get our English word pornography. And it refers to every kind of sexual perversion. It would include adultery. It would include fornication. It would include homosexuality and lesbianism. It includes incest, bestiality, pedophilia, prostitution. The list really goes on here. Those practices are specifically condemned here as keeping a person out of the kingdom of God. Since the sexual relationship, point number one, is only acceptable for one man and one woman within marriage. That's what makes it unique. That's what makes it special. Then what that means is, is that means that any deviation outside of those limits, any deviation outside of those parameters, well, that would be unacceptable. Not before marriage. Not engaged in the sexual relationship with a person that you are not married to. Not with someone who is the same sex as you. Not with a child, not with an animal, no. The sexual relationship is limited. And in fact, biblically, everything outside of those limits, the Bible says plainly, is sinful. The Bible never hesitates, never apologizes for restricting sexual expression. And of course, that is exactly what causes the rub with our world. That is what causes the world to just gasp and recoil a little bit. Oh, I can't believe you all. Limiting people's sexual expression. How archaic of you. How tyrannical. Who are you to go around and tell people what to do? Don't you know you can't legislate morality? I've heard that all my life. In fact, I read an interview not that long ago with... I forget his name, but he's the guy who was the husband on that reality TV show, My Five Wives. It's a show about a polygamist lived out in Utah. And that fellow said in this interview, he said, there is an unhealthy stigma attached to polygamy. There is nothing wrong with consenting adults living and loving how they choose in the privacy of their own home. Well, there you go. Our society loves to pretend that sexual activity, that it should just be utterly uninhibited, 
There should be no boundaries, be no limitations at all. Let's just throw off and cast off all restraints. I'm telling you this morning, nobody, nobody really believes that. People can say that kind of thing. You get on social media, you hear young people saying all kinds of stupid stuff like that. But nobody really believes that. What everybody does believe is there ought to be limits on sexual activity. And so, for example, when Mr. Polygamous there in his interview, when he says no one should limit what consenting adults do in the privacy of their home. Oh, wait, 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 wait. just stop right there. Did you hear it? Consenting. Nobody believes that you ought to be able to just grab somebody and force your affections on them if they don't want that. No, it has to be consenting. What is that? That's a limit. And then what about the next part? Consenting adults. There's a limitation too. With adults. In fact, I read recently that some folks in Europe, they're actually trying to get pedophilia removed from the list of mental disorders. And they want to have pedophilia reclassified as an alternative lifestyle choice. You know what? Maybe there are some places in Europe where they may actually get that to go through. But I don't think in America that's ever going to fly. I don't think that's ever going to happen here. Because by and large, people still believe that children should be protected. Well, once again, what is that? That's a limit. That's a limitation. So people talk about consenting. People talk about it has to be an adult. People talk about then as well, people can do what they want to do in the privacy of their own homes. Well, once again, that's a limit. You have to limit where you're going to practice your sexual expression. Folks aren't going to accept you just engaging in sexual activity anywhere and everywhere that you please. No, there are limits there. But do you see? Do you see the double talk? Do you see how our society likes to speak out of both sides of its mouth? People say all the time that we shouldn't restrain sexuality. In fact, young people are told that they can't. They're not able to restrain their sexual desires. And so that is why we have to have sex education taught in our schools. And that's why they pass out birth control and hand out condoms. Why? Because no one can really control their sexual behavior. Really? I believe that everyone expects that everyone is going to control and limit their behavior. We even have laws in our country. We have federal laws. We have state laws. We have local laws that our society has established that they expect Everybody's going to abide by. You see, once again, it's not just us Christians. It's not you bunch of fuddy-duddies down there at the church who's over there quoting the Bible and you're trying to restrain everybody's sexuality. No. Our society restrains people's sexuality. The only place where sexual behavior occurs in an unrestrained manner is where? That would be in the animal kingdom. When a boy dog breaks out of the fence and gets into your yard with your girl dog, and the next thing you know, you've got puppies on your hand. Nobody says, I tell you what, we need to arrest that boy dog. We need to throw him in jail and throw away the key. No! Everybody understands that that's just animals being animals. But we also understand that we are not animals. So our society says we can control ourselves. And in fact, we are expected to control and limit ourselves. Everybody agrees with that. Everybody agrees that there has to be limitations when it comes to the sexual relationship. And the Bible 
The Bible's been saying that since day one. Now, that brings us to kind of a fork in the road. It brings us to an important question, particularly an important question for our young people. Because as we consider these true two areas, it is clear to me that the Bible is not as outdated and as outmoded as our world would have us to believe. Suddenly what we're starting to see is that the Bible, the Bible just speaks the language of common sense. The Bible is merely just in some ways just echoing what we already know and what we already accept. And so the question comes down to this, young people. Who? Who are you going to listen to? Everybody has standards. Everybody has some set of standards. My question is, who's going to set your standards? Think about it. You could, for example, you could listen to the world of media, movies, music, popular culture, and what's being floated around on Instagram and all those sorts of places. But I'm going to tell you this morning that if you listen to those people, if you listen to those influences, you are listening to liars and to hypocrites. Those people do not believe what those shows and what those movies and what those songs and what those advertisements portray. They themselves do not believe it. They portray that being promiscuous and being with lots of people and fornicating and sleeping around and gratifying your desires, that that's the way to go. That's what makes you cool. That's what gets you in. But in reality, they don't believe that. They believe that the sexual relationship is unique and special. They believe that it ought to have some limits despite what they might be portraying on the stage and on the screen. And so my question is, why would you listen to them? They are liars. They are hypocrites. You want more? They just want to make money off of you. They are smut peddlers. And they are selling trash that even they don't believe. Why? so that they can make a profit off of naive and foolish hearts. And many times, that is our young people. My question is, are you going to listen to them? Are you going to allow liars and hypocrites to set the standard for how you think and how you behave and how you act concerning the sexual relationship? That's one option. Let me give you another option. You could listen to God. You could listen to the Lord and to His Word. Look with me finally in Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, every person, and I'm going to say that especially every young person, needs to memorize this verse, or needs to have it underlined, or have it marked in their Bible. Because in Deuteronomy 10, as Moses is commanding the people of God, He is advising them about their relationship with the Lord God of heaven. And how when you are in a relationship with God, that then changes everything else about your life. Like, for example, that changes your sexual behavior. And so he tells them this in Deuteronomy 10 and in verse 13. He says that you need to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, For your good. Here's what you get 
when you decide to listen and take your cues from the Bible. What you get is you get God's standards, which are absolutely, flawlessly perfect. He is the divine engineer, the master creator. He built you. He built the sexual relationship. And you know what? That means He knows how it all works. He knows where it works. He knows how it ought to function. He knows where it is honorable and good. God is never going to lie to you. Unlike these people, God's never going to lie to you. He's never going to deceive you. He's never going to tell you something that is just manifestly not true about the sexual relationship or anything else. And furthermore, I'll tell you this, God's not trying to profit off of you. He's not trying to make money off of you. No, instead, we profit off of God. We are blessed by our relationship with Him, not the other way around. And so you can be certain that God, He's not trying to exploit you. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to fool you in some way. He knows what is best for you. And get this. Unlike all the people on television and on the radio and on the internet, our God, He actually cares for you. He's actually interested in you. He actually loves you. And on top of all of that, Everybody already agrees with God's standard. Whether they want to admit it and whether they want to say it or not. Whether they want to live it and practice it or not. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that He's right. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to liars and hypocrites? Or will you listen to Almighty God? Now I realize that this is a very different approach to determining the standard for our attitudes and our practices toward the sexual relationship. But I have come to a place in my life where whenever I start hearing people now start spouting off all kinds of disparaging remarks about the Bible, oh, that's just old-fashioned, nobody believes that anymore, it's just a bunch of hooey. And they start saying that in conjunction with their stance and their beliefs and what they say about the sexual relationship. What I'm inclined to say is I'm inclined to say, sir or ma'am, you don't really believe that. You don't really believe what you're saying. The Bible is right, and we all know that it's right. Because that actress who's in some movie playing a really immoral woman, she goes home every night to her husband, who she's been married to for years. Or that young man in the Axe Body Spray commercials, who acts like having girls all over him and getting with all kinds of girls. If that's so great and that's so wonderful, that young man had his heart broken by a young lady who cheated on him. Because everybody knows that the sexual relationship is special, it is unique, and everybody knows that we can and we must limit our sexual desires. And what that means for God's people is that means we need to stop apologizing And we need to stop being embarrassed of what the Bible teaches. Because at the end of the day, everybody knows it's right. Our job is to simply listen to God and let Him set the standard and the agenda for our lives, not just when it comes to the sexual relationship, but in everything. Why? Because His commands are for our good always. How about you right now? Where are you at right now? Are you listening to God? Are you letting Him set the standard for your life right now, this very moment?
Does our God get the first and the last word in everything in your life because you have submitted to His Lordship and to His authority? If not, why not? He only wants what is best for you. Because He cares for you. He loves you. He sent His Son to this earth to prove that, ratified on a cross on a hill outside of Calvary. This morning you have an opportunity to take advantage of that reality. You have the opportunity to truly see that His commands are for your good by rendering your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, by placing your faith in Jesus, by being baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You can know the privilege and you can know the blessing of being a child of God and you can start serving Him and giving Him the very service and devotion of your life. If you are a child of God but you have failed in some way along the way, then brother or sister... You can make that right by coming back to the Father, coming before His throne with a penitent and and, and humble heart, seeking His forgiveness in prayer. And if we can help you in that, or if we can help you in any way this morning to serve the Lord, then take advantage of this opportunity right now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.